the Prophetic Politics Podcast. I'm Nick Rodriguez. I'm Thabiti Anubwile. I'm Ben Brophy. All right, guys. So in our last episode, we established what Thabiti would call the floorboards. <laughs> the floor, the flowboards um, of this issue. We talked a little bit about the history of it, why it's an issue today. And we also um, sort of said a bit about the historic Christian position, which is a position all three of us hold. Why be pro-life if you're a Christian? And we laid all that out. Um, and I want to just start with a disclaimer that says that nothing we're saying in this episode changes any of that. Mm. Um, you know, So uh, we're having this episode because I think that for various reasons, there are nuances and challenges to the issue that ought to be explored. Um, what I've termed as kind of blind spots um, that the pro-life movement has um, if our goal is to get to zero abortions. Um, but of course, that even even to suggest that is in itself controversial. So, Nick, with that, let's let's do a little bit of a good faith argument for the pro-choice position. Uh, none of us hold that position, but if we want to rebut or have interaction with that position, we should consider the arguments that they have. Yep. And I'm the guy to make this position because before I was a believer, it was my position. So I think I can I think I can do my best to uh, uh, try to uh, tr- try to describe it. So. Um, the pro-choice position, just like the pro-life position, it, a lot is embedded in the actual label itself, pro-choice, um, which is to say you'll often hear pro-choice advocates talking about a woman's right to choose, to choose, uh, and then uh, there's an important distinction, to choose what to do with her body. And I guess the implication there is that when you're a woman and you're pregnant, um, that the, uh, the unborn child inside you is a part of your body. And by the way, you can see the flow of logic to Roe v. Wade, right? You might say, oh, well, before viability, it's a part of her body. It can't exist without her. And then afterwards, it's not. Um, And of course, there are more extreme views on the pro-choice side that just say, no, 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 whenever, as long as, (laughs) um, you know, it's still inside, um, inside her, that that's what that's what it's going to be. So this idea of being able to make choices I think the second kind of argument has to do with making choices under um, uh, sort of uh, situations of duress. So one common denominator, if you go back to that Marvin Olasky book I told you about, um, you know, a common denominator throughout those who would seek abortions was feeling uh, sort of marginalized or deprived, right? And so the idea was, if you think about who's thinking about getting an abortion, in many cases, it's someone who is worried they won't be able to raise the child. Uh, somebody who you know doesn't think they are capable or able or, or, or any number of things like that. In some cases, uh, a person who's, say, in an abusive marriage um, or an abusive relationship doesn't want to raise the child with that father. Um, or in even more extreme cases, a, a child that's the product of rape um, you know, or of sexual assault of any kind. And um, I think the argument goes, why should a woman be forced to carry a child to term that, you know, she never, well, she she can't raise, or that um, literally was the product of a crime against her, right? And there's a sympathy there for, you know, she should have the right to decide what to do, essentially. Um, and she should have the right not to take on, say, the financial burden that comes with raising uh, a child. We know as parents that raising children is expensive. We also know that, um, you know, being pregnant doesn't mean necessarily that you're able to do that. Um, so those are the those are the basic things. And if I, I guess if I could go one step further, those are pragmatic arguments. If you're going to be a real sort of committed pro-choice person, you'll go even farther and you'll say, you know, so on one hand, you might say, well, I th- maybe it's a life, but I think these factors I've just named outweigh that fact, right? And that's probably the best way of rendering the Supreme Court's reasoning on it, right? We balanced these two things, a life and then these other interests, and we came out this way. Um, But of course, there are going to be some who are more extreme in that movement who are just going to say, I think it's a life and I don't care, right? Like, um, because this just, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, let me backtrack. It's not, I think it's not, I think it's a, there's, I think it's a life and these other things outweigh it. And then there are others will just be, I just don't think it's a life. Right. Like and and by the way, right, like to be to be intellectually fair on that one, if the Bible said <laughs> it's not, then we probably wouldn't have an objection to it either. 
right? So, so I mean, th that's hard to imagine, right? I'm just, but, but I, I, I guess I'm saying, like, in the same way that we don't worry about, you know, the molecules that will one day form a zygote because we know that's not a life, right? Like, if the Bible drew the line somewhere else, we'd probably come to the same conclusion. So, those are, those are, those are, I think, in a nutshell, some of the arguments that are made. I think implied in 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 um, some of what you said there, uh, and and sometimes made more explicit, both in what you what you summarize and, and in the arguments, is that there is this kind of equity argument um, mm -hmm. that has to do with, as you mentioned, the disproportionate ways in which women bear the burden, yeah, of carrying the child, raising the child, financial and physical costs of that. Uh, and the ways in which men uh, often are able to walk away kind of scot-free. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, so there, there's a physical and material impact uh, on women that gets framed as an injustice if they don't have the right to choose yeah. um, whether or not to carry a baby to term. Yeah. I, and I think there is an injustice being perpetrated against right. those women. Uh, and so mm. there is, to, to put it positively on the pro-choice argument, there is a sense in which a entire system, if you want to use that word, uh, has basically stuck her with the responsibility no matter what. So if you, you know, however you get pregnant, you get pregnant. But if you're in a low income area, um, you know, and you're the father just bails or he could be mm. all sorts of all sorts of reasons why he's not in the picture. Um, and now this woman is alone and has to raise a child also has it's going to be difficult to hold a job while also raising yeah. a kid by yourself uh and so there is this real the the person who is getting you know the worst end of the deal on all of those factors is the the single pregnant mother and so the, there's a reality that she really is being stuck with the consequences of a whole lot of sin yes some of it is her but some of it is the father, some of it is cultural, some of it is systemic. Uh, and so she's the one that takes the brunt of that. And that is an injustice. And we're going to talk about this later, I'm, I know. But there is a big part of being pro-life means en enabling and empowering that woman to be pro-life. Uh, yeah. In a very practical sense. Absolutely. So I've just given that ar set of arguments right around the sort of the right to a choice it's part of a woman's body she should decide what to do with it uh and um and sort of the the kind of protection from these sorts of abuses or distresses why do we as christians find those arguments finally unpersuasive well you know for me on part of a part of a woman's body as we mentioned in the last episode the line of viability keeps moving and then on the other hand there's a sense in which children aren't viable until seven, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, amen to that. Yeah. Uh, my four year old cannot keep herself alive. I don't think, uh, without our help. And so there, there's some arbitrary lines being drawn there of like, well, what is viability? What does it mean to be able to live outside the womb? And, and you know, that baby's not coming out cooking dinner for itself. And, and, and so that I, that argument is unpersuasive, to me um and then you know but let's all that being aside let's say okay it, it, we understand that viability would be before 20 weeks why do we oppose that and there is a reality that biblically that's what scripture says and, and that's why we think it's a life at the same time there is science here at conception new dna is created dna that has never existed before if we found that on mm. mars we would say, oh, my gosh, there's life on Mars. And people would go through the roof. But we find it, we find that miracle in a woman's body, and we say, that's discardable. And that, is, that to me, is seared conscience, for sure. Mm. Uh, Can oh, I chime in a little bit on that question of, of why, why we don't find it persuasive? Yeah, yeah, please. Right? Mm -hmm. I, I think there are a number of reasons we, we don't find that persu persuasive. One is because we're not moral relativists, right? We think there's some mm -hmm. things morally that are just simply true. Right. Uh, one of which is you don't you don't take innocent life, mm -hmm. um, and and so um, we can talk about all the various circumstances in which that question comes to bear, and which circumstances are more or less compelling. But but we don't sort of equivocate 
mm-hmm. on the basic moral premise, right? And so it's just uncompelling. The, the other reason it's not compelling, at least to my way of thinking, is you zoom back, this is a public policy discussion. One of the things you have to ask yourself is what kind of society do we wish to create? Mm-hmm. What is the good life? What should, should government, should policy inculcate virtue to its citizens? Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my answer to that would be yes, mm-hmm. right? Um, and this is not virtuous, mm-hmm. going back to the moral sort of mm-hmm. position. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, we, we don't find it compelling uh, on, on that level. Finally, I don't find it compelling because we all live with bounded freedom. Mm-hmm. We, none of us have unilateral uh, unqualified freedom. There are limits to our freedom, yeah. right? Uh, and one of the limits to our freedom is 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 sort of ascertained by thinking about mm-hmm. how does it affect others who also should be free, mm-hmm. right? And so I, I would argue that right. a woman's right to choose, if we're going to use that language, is bounded by the impact it has on other lives, yep. right? In the same way that... I could be angry if I want to, mm-hmm. but I can't go out and commit murder because I'm angry, right? <laughs> right. Um, and and so I, I just think their their limit is not persuasive to me, because there are important questions about the the society we wish to create, um, the freedoms we cherish, but that are also limited, uh, and and the moral claims that that we take our positions on. Yeah, yeah. Th- I want to jump in one more time. That's very Aristotelian of you, which is very interesting. Um, I don't know. This is also probably a separate podcast. I don't know how widespread the idea of government promoting virtue is anymore, but mm-hmm. but I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that's interesting about, or I find unpersuasive about the pro-choice position is it assumes that children are not a good thing. Mm-hmm. And biblically, of course, we would say children are a blessing, but yeah. practically that's the case too. I mean, talk to most parents, single or married or whatever, and sure. they find great joy in having children. Now, that's not universally the case. I don't want to make that claim. No, there's actually data on that. Uh, just around like, uh, it's funny, the, the, you, you'll appreciate this, Ben. The data basically says that parents of children are uh, more stressed out, mm-hmm. less happy, any number of things, but also more fulfilled yeah. <laughs> in a very deep sense of the word, right? But yeah. uh, So there is actually data on that. Like, yeah. that. That's sort of across the spectrum. Well, it's because hard things are also good things. Exactly. Right? Parenting yep. is hard, but that means it's not good. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So I'll just add one thing to that, which is just I think about arguments I sometimes have with my pro-choice friends and the way I frame it is um you're trying to defend certain good things you're trying to defend vulnerable women from abuse you're trying to defend um uh you're 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 trying to give women agency as well right uh, and freedom to the extent possible right right and all we're all i think the sort of pro-life movement says to that is we just think that there's one remedy you don't have available to you or shouldn't have available to you in order to solve those problems. Yeah. Right. So yeah. it's sort of like if someone came to you and said, you know, we could end world hunger. All you have to do is kill those people over there. Right. Right. We would say no. <laughs> the the, the thing all snap. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. right. Actually, yeah. this is exactly yeah. right. We're, we don't believe we're not Thanos. We don't that's think right. that's a good idea. <laughs> that's right. So, um, you know, so I think that's in, in a lot of ways, I think, what I like, the reason I like to frame it that way is because I want to acknowledge that those are good things, mostly good things, mm-hmm. that the movement is usually, that the pro-choice movement is usually trying to defend. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but anyway, but let, 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 let's, let's, um, let, let's, let's go a little further with this, which is to say, so the reason we wanted to have this second episode, in addition to sort of describing the, 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 the sort of basics of the pro-choice argument, was because, I don't know about you guys, but... Maybe it's just because I used to be pro-choice. Maybe it's because um, I lean left or whatever. Uh, but I, I've always felt, though I am pro-life, an uneasiness with kind of every aspect of the way the movement conducts itself. Um, and um, coming from a couple of different places. So I wanted to t- give us a space to explore a little bit, to explore my own sort of challenges with it, see if they're valid. Um, but also to make sure that uh, we're being kept honest in terms of, is that just a bias because some of these people are your friends, mm-hmm. Nick, right? Uh, or not. So Ben, you can be my kind of conscience on this, but <laughs> let me, but, but let me just start by opening it up to all, all of us, which is to say, to the extent, do you think there are blind spots or weaknesses in the pro-life movement and the way that it operates? Yes. 
All right. Well, so, okay, okay. Well, why don't you start us off today? You can name, like, one of them. Oh, man. I, I'm limited to one? Well, uh, okay, or more. Whatever you... <laughs> I just figured we could kind of talk a little bit about them point by point. A yeah, bit. They, for me, they range from the tonal to the conceptual. Okay, yeah. Right. So I do think there are quarters of the pro-life movement uh, whose tone... Uh, while I understand, I understand how to get there in terms of the scale and the, and the horror that we're talking about, mm-hmm. uh, seems to me to be counterproductive, mm-hmm. um, belligerent, and uh, unchristian at times. Right. Uh, so that, that just say that quickly. Conceptually, I think the biggest problem in my mind is we we it seems to me that as a movement we don't have a clear vision for what it would mean to win this battle. Hmm beyond just overturning Roe. Yeah. And, and we haven't thought about what Roland Warren at CareNet calls kind of a pro-abundant life kind of vision, right? Mm-hmm. So, so to put it this way, I, I don't think the outcome we want is merely to sort of end abortions and then increase the number, for example, of um, single-parent uh, mm-hmm. homes, yeah. families. Um, or to increase the number of women, you, you hear pro-life folks talking about, we're not going back to the hangers, we're not going back to the alleyways. Sure. We, we don't want to increase the number of um, sort of wretched circumstances in which abortions um, took place prior to Roe and so on. Um, what the media's referring to is just abortion that is not done under a doctor's care, that is very dangerous for yeah. um, for a, a mother to attempt on her own or with some unprofessional help. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I think there's some there, there could be some some unintended negative consequences if our vision is merely overturning Roe, mm-hmm. that the movement as itself hasn't sort of given, I think, sufficient time to mm-hmm. uh, casting positive vision. Um, and so it, it makes a, I think it makes the pro-life movement less compelling to people who maybe are sort of like I'm really pro-abortion uh, and could be one could be swayed. But but can't be swayed to uh, a sort of anemic vision that is merely about overturning Roe without addressing sort of uh, abundant life and and a, a bigger vision of life in that way. Yep, yep. Yeah, I'll I'll build on that a little bit. I think that um, there is a um, just a just a sense in which. And maybe it's because if you had to prioritize, you got you know you got to get Roe overturned, and then we'll figure out what we do after that, right? Might be, might be one way. To, okay, so that, but, but I, I don't know. That that's true. That's a strategic yeah, yeah. consideration. Yes. I mean, I understand why people go there. Yep. Um, but this goes back to our first conversation. I think mm. there are a number of things we can do, and and many Christians yep. are doing, that are looking to sort of just you know intervene at the point of crisis and decision making, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and one of the things that we, we need to give more attention to is actually the inclusion and the involvement of fathers. Sure. Right? Uh, in that in that moment of, of crisis and decision-making, it's mm-hmm. the biggest predictor of whether or not a woman chooses to keep or to terminate yeah. the pregnancy uh, is whether or not the father is involved and supportive. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't take law. Uh, that takes community, right? Yeah. And, and that takes intentionality. And that takes us reframing the discussion yep. from merely a woman's right to choose what the woman does with yeah. this baby mm. to, you know, really focusing on the two persons who've created this life and and involving yeah. them both. Let me let me come back to something you said about the tonal piece because mm-hmm. I I do think that's important. Um, it, you said something a second ago. You said, well, these folks aren't pro-abortion, and I actually think that's true, right? Like no one's going out there to try to just have abortions, right? right. What they're trying to do is uh, Ben Ben looks skeptical. <laughs> um, the reason I'm skeptical is because once upon a time the Democratic Party platform had abortion should be safe, legal, and rare, mm-hmm. and they've removed the rare what in 2012. So I don't, I don't, and I know that's not necessarily the entirety of the pro-choice movement. But no, no, there's no. less and less concern. I get, about I get, that. I get what you're saying uh, about that, and I, you're, I agree with you that that movement's happened. I guess what I'm saying is, unlike slavery. For example, where you'd be like, yeah, let's let's have more slaves, basically, would have been the position, because that would be good for me, right? Mm-hmm. There isn't a sort of, let me, just as a positive goal, try to make sure there are more abortions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a pro-choice person would frame that as, let's make sure that when somebody wants one, they can have one, right? Or when they think they need one, they can have one. Uh, and, and that might, anyway, so, so let me let me play yeah. out where I'm going with this. Yeah. All I'm trying to say, uh, there's something around 
what's the motivation of being pro-choice? And I shared a uh, I shared a tweet with you the other night um, that I thought kind of captured some of the nature of the rhetoric. So during the last set of Supreme Court hearings, uh, as we know, um, you know, Brett Kavanaugh was under fire about sexual assault potential allegations. And there was one kind of uh, uh, commentator and it was a tweet. So, of course, it does what all tweets do. Um, it was quite inflammatory. Right. But it said essentially um, you know, this was Eric Erickson, essentially, and, and who is a believer himself, right? And kind of a, you know, so so that's one reason why I pay attention, right, to what he says. And I think he said, you know, I, I have little patience for these sexual assault allegations, essentially. There are people trying to ruin the reputation of this guy so that they can murder more children, basically, right? That was, a, that, that I'm paraphrasing the tweet. Um, let's put the sexual assault piece to the side for now. That's a different episode. <laughs> um, but I... Uh, just this idea of like there, this idea of casting the pro-choice movement as being about and positively committed to the murder of children, as opposed to defending the good they're trying to defend, which I I acknowledged a second ago. I think we all acknowledge is actually a good right agency, um, sort of protection from financial distress, etc. And it, when you misread the motives of your opposition, it makes it difficult to think to find a way to build a bridge or to create common ground. That would be the sort of one thing I'd say on that. But well, yeah. brother, that, that problem is so bad that pro-life Christians do that to other pro-life Christians. Really? If they don't just <laughs> toe every line. Mm. So for example, you're in one, favor of yeah, murder. Right? So, like, so, yeah. so, you know, for example, yeah. I actually think the pro-life movement isn't pro-life enough. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you put on the table other sort of life issues and protecting of life issues beyond abortion or mm-hmm. um, a more expansive notion of caring for women and men in those certain circumstances. Uh, and there are self-professed pro-life Christians who take that sort of um, slanderous tone uh, mm-hmm. with other Christians if, if they're not arguing the sort of same, mm. the same route, same party line. So I, I think the tone in this is really significantly a problem inside and outside the movement. Yeah. Yeah, part of the discussion we had before the episode that I think is maybe worth talking about here is I don't – there are people who are pro-life who are using very unhelpful language. and The example you gave would, would be one of them, um, though I'm tempted to say – Tempted to say the Bible sometimes uses some pretty harsh language to describe sin, but I will mm-hmm. leave it aside because well, it's not helpful. But none of us are being inspired by the Holy Spirit right. to yeah, write the that, very words of God. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Um, at the same time, I don't know that I consider that commentator a part of the pro-life movement. So uh, the distinction I'm kind of making here is like, okay, there are people who are pro-life and a lot of them are not helpful. Mm. But the professional <laughs> policy slash uh, civil society oriented movement, at least in these days, I think is doing a lot of what we're talking about. I mean, you talk about pro abundant life. Mm-hmm. He's a part of the professional yep. pro life movement. We talk oh. about who's that? Rollin Warren at CareNet. Oh, gotcha. Yep. Mm-hmm. We talk about El. Uh, EL gosh, EL. yeah, with Russell Moore and the work that he's doing. And I hear a lot of we need to whole life be pro life for whole life. Uh, you know, I'm starting to see we need to care for the mothers, and so. I see encouraging signs from the the people who are actually in the trenches, who have skin in the game, who are trying to address these concerns. Crisis pregnancy centers also trying to do some of this work where we're at the moment of decision for the pregnant Mm -hmm. mother and coming around her to the degree that we can. And so I want to I want to defend that portion of the pro-life movement uh, a bit because sure, I think it has gone in a really positive direction now. Do we need to rally everyone who's pro-life to think in those ways and support? Th- yes, absolutely. And unhelpful rhetoric about, you know, abortion um, is not going to help us get to our goal of ending all abortion. Um, so th- there's good critique here for people who are pro-life and are being hateful or slanderous. Totally agree. But when it comes to the, the pros, the people who are in this day in and day out, I, I see a lot of encouraging signs on all of those fronts. Yeah, I think it's fair. Uh, yeah, I think I think that's right. I think that um, at the level I'm describing around tone, who is and isn't in the movement probably matters less, mm-hmm. right? Like, because you're thinking about like, like you, you. I think you said to me the other day. Well, by that definition, Nancy Nancy Pelosi isn't in the pro-choice movement either, right? Right. But what Nancy Pelosi says about um, abortion yeah. matters a great deal in the public discourse because of who she is. Right. Yeah, I'm just yeah. She called it a sacred right or something. Right. She, she, which was 
very surprising language. That's right, and yeah. and so that so so I think that once you're in the realm of what's going on tonally, then unfortunately you have to police your entire side, right? Like you have to think about like what are people saying. It's kind of like what if I mean this is maybe this is a tortured analogy. You guys can tell me, but if if Malcolm X's rhetoric had broken through more than Martin Luther King's rhetoric during the civil rights movement, we'd mm. be having a different conversation <laughs> in terms of how we remember that era in history. Right. So it matters. And that was a it was by no means a foregone conclusion that mm. like that was where things were going to go. Mm. Right. And I think and by the way, I should say, if I were to take the other side example of that, right, like, so there's bad faith arguments on both sides, right? The pro-choice folks will be like, well, you just want to control women's bodies, mm. right? You just are anti-woman mm -hmm. pro-life folks, mm. right? Um, and, um, and, and, and so, like, that's also, right, like a, 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 a bad faith argument made. And, like, the, rhetorically, it just, it does not help, Um when in fact, and there, I, I would argue there is a pro-choice voting block. This is the Beatty's point that I do think is persuadable on the issue. Oh, um, yeah. It's probably going to take a generation if we were to start changing our behavior now. Yeah. But to start to say, um, like, this isn't about, you know, kind of calling everybody baby killers. It's mm -hmm. about having a deep, sincere conviction about the protection of life um, and about finding ways to find, as you say, finding alternative ways to achieve the goods sought by the pro-choice movement mm. um, without harming unborn life. Mm. Yeah. Right. Well, one of the things that this conversation makes me think of, and Ben put it on the table most clearly in some of our earlier conversation, but one question this prompts for me, and, and maybe it's a critique, I'm not sure, uh, is, mm. is whether or not we are sufficiently past uh, movement errors. Hmm. particularly of the sort of old guard institutional variety. So so I, I do think your civil rights analogy, Nick, is apt on a couple of levels. One, the, the sort mm -hmm. of tonal, uh, but also this sort of classic civil rights period had identifiable leadership, identifiable organizations, hmm. identifiable strategy and goals, uh, in this sort of democratized social media hmm. uh, kind of world. Yeah. I don't know that that exists yeah. with the same kind of power that it used to. So you still yeah. have institutional actors, uh, but you have a lot of individual actors and you mm. have a lot of sort of pockets and sub pockets yeah. uh, that are speaking and acting as if they are a part of a movement that yeah. increasingly um, movements are sort of, mm. the borders are ambiguous. Yeah. You know, who's in, who's yeah. out is a really difficult question. I think that's true. And yeah. I, I have little patience for people who are throwing bombs on Twitter but are not actively have any real skin in the game mm. um and I, that's my own that's my own personal animus um but <laughs> i know for me like i'm pro-life but i'm in no tangible way involved in the movement like in a, in a practical way and so i don't i don't necessarily consider myself part of mm. the active efforts to end abortion which is probably something i need to consider yeah. Uh, in my own Amen. conscience that's, that's that's totally fair oh, but actually let me connect that to one other sure. thing which i've been thinking about so more, i think it's fair to say because one way in which we all act as pro-life or not is in how we vote mm. right so i mean well, whatever I, we live in dc so maybe not <laughs> um but um <laughs> foregone conclusion. Yeah, yeah. Not, well, not just foregone conclusion but like who are we voting for that can do anything about right, it right, right like right. you know like, yeah, right. but um no taxation without yeah, exactly exactly yeah well we'll have an episode about that well, we should go. totally Stay do that good. what should christians think about yeah so um the 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 the, the reason so how we vote in general right as christians is quite possibly the most important single thing we do Right. If we're not part of the movement. Mm -hmm. Right. Like. And so now I know that's not true. The most important thing you do is get involved in the movement. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I, right? I, I and, misspoke and there. And put skin in the game as being put it. Yeah. 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 Well, sorry. what I meant by that is that a baseline thing that all of us do to contribute or not contribute. Right. Is in how we vote. Right. Um, and so. The. Um. Probably, I, I will make a statement. You guys can agree with it if you or disagree with it if you'd like. But I'd say probably the single issue that keeps Christians aligned with one party, with the Republican Party in America, is this issue. White Christians. Well, I'm sorry. Yes. Yes, that's right. So, so um, 
if you I, I, I guess I want to probe on that a little bit because that's oh, the I think that's yeah. the other thing that makes me uneasy, mm -hmm. right? I'm also yeah. tempted to say white Christians who are over the age of 40. Tempted to say that. Potentially. That's, yeah. pro that's probably fair. Uh, there, are, there, was, there are generational differences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. So, so this is the whole kind of single-issue voter thing, right? And you hear people say, again, there's, a, there's, a, there's an attractiveness to the logic, right? When you're mm -hmm. talking about 600,000 lives against almost anything. Um, should that make you a single issue voter, right? And there's an unease for me as a person who leans, you know, left, as I look at that and I say, does that mean, right, that despite everything I think, right, I'm I'm bound to support the party with the pro life candidate? Um, you know, the um, no. there. No, yeah, wait, no. So, so yeah, well, well so, so, I know, but let me unpack that a little bit because I'm, I'm, uh, I clearly have not felt bound that way, right? But, um, I think it's an argument worth addressing because it's not, it's not a trivial question, right? And I think that, um, but, but, but I think it's tough because you have to say literally, like, I'm like, I think, I mean, this is just me, like, I'm in this position where I think the Republican Party is correct on exactly one issue, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Like, and I'm like, oh, what do I, but it's a very, very important issue. So what do I do about that? Right? Like, so, so that's number one. And then the other thing I, I have this thought experiment. Sometimes I've said before, before 2016, I used to say, I used to ask myself, how bad would the pro-life candidate have to be mm -hmm. before you decided to support the pro-choice candidate over them for all the other reasons, right? And I always joke now, 2016 came and went, and we have our answer. There is no bottom, <laughs> right? There is no bottom. Like, it could be, like, you know, a, uh, a ham sandwich that is pro-life, and we are going to vote for them over, like, a sentient human being that is pro-choice, mm -hmm. right? Anyway, so that's, I wanted to put that on the table, because I think it is a dilemma and a tension that Christians, older Christians certainly have already decided, and younger Christians are struggling with, I yeah. would say, right? Yeah. I think for me, I will vote for the pro-life candidate, assuming I can morally support or find the, the candidate himself morally acceptable. Now, that doesn't make me quite a single-issue voter, but I'm close. Sure. Um and and again it's the <clears throat> i'm making a bit of a crass utilitarian assessment here is i don't know that there's a, a single issue that impacts the imago day as much as this particular one now there's a sense oh man there's a sense in which it's all connected there's a sense in which poverty and systemic injustice are putting people in a place where they don't have a choice but to have an abortion but that that's tough. That's like further upstream and, and it's hard to prove. Um, so for me, if I can morally support it, I think the character of the person running is within the norm of, <laughs> of political discourse and they are pro-life, uh, I will most likely vote for them. Unless, of course, the, the person on the other side is somebody like a Bob Casey from Pennsylvania or a Joe Biden sure. who tend to be more moderate on their uh, their pro-life, pro-choice issues. I, I think ultimately what's really tough is if the Democratic Party is not giving me much wiggle room. Yeah, like if there was, not anymore. If there was one remotely pro-life Democrat, they'd, they'd most likely have me. Most likely. Over this guy. One thing I think you see in general. I'm going to announce my run for office, Ben, so you can vote for me. <laughs> yeah. um. I think one of the generational differences I see, and this is anecdotal, I have no data, um, is people are more interested in candidates than parties, at least for people who are 40 and under. And so I look at a guy like Ben Sass as like, you know, that's that's mm -hmm. a guy I love, could get behind him. But there are there are Democrats who are who are good better on this issue that i could support certainly if if vice president biden ran against the current administration hmm. I, I would i'm not going to say i'm going to vote for it, but i would strongly consider that yeah. candidate um yeah i'll leave it at that I you think. hear that joe <laughs> <laughs> well you know a number of things to say one nothing wrong with being a single issue voter Mm -hmm. If that's how your conscience is is bound by the word of God, um, or even if that's where you arrive as a matter of pragmatic political calculus, there's nothing wrong with that. Right? Um, 
it, it's what, what I would push back against is folks who um, try to bind the conscience mm. of everyone to be single issue voters. Mm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, that I think needs to be pushed back on because I don't, I don't think we have biblical um, sound biblical basis to bind everyone's conscience that way. So nothing wrong with single issue voting. What, what I want to suggest is there's probably a better way of being a single issue voter than sort of merely saying which party platform mm-hmm. sort of has that issue in it, and that's that's how I'll vote. Let me tell you what I mean. The the conventional wisdom coming after eight years of Obama was that unless you could put together a coalition, you couldn't win the presidency. Mm-hmm. That got toppled in 2016. We we didn't see a diverse coalition, mm-hmm. you know, sort of coming out in massive rally in support of our current president, President mm-hmm. Trump, right? Um, I, I would argue he, he came pretty close to winning the elector, winning the election with, with, with a fairly narrow or particular sort of slice of, of the American electorate. Sure. A big part of that slice was, was evangelicalism, evangelical yes. voters, those who voted eight out of the 10. Famous, the famous 81%. That's right. And, and, <laughs> and you know, I, I love what evangelicals like to do with that now. I mean, they like to say, well, we just, we're going to redefine evangelical. Those are, those guys aren't evangelical, but, but whatever neither here nor there <laughs> what that suggests to me is that evangelicals if, it, if we if pro single single issue pro-life evangelicals constitute so significant a block in the electorate that if they acted independently you could actually create some third ways mm-hmm. right that that's a big enough sort of concern rightly so with with enough sort of political uh, activity and commitment Hmm. That it could actually be persuasive beyond simply deciding, should we go left or right, red or blue, Democrat, Republican? Mm-hmm. Uh, they could actually say some people need to come to us yeah. uh, and, and, and do that in a pretty compelling way and create, I think, um, the sort of demand for different kinds of candidates. Yeah. Right. Um, so I actually think we, we're not being savvy hmm. uh, as, as sing- if we're single issue voters. We're not being as savvy as we could mm-hmm. uh, in the political landscape. And I think this last election gives us gives us reason to hope that that we could actually, as a block, be more effective right. um, than we have been or, or would be simply signing a party line. Mm-hmm. I, I think I that would be amazing. I would love for that to happen. I think the difficulty is that most voters are not thinking that deeply about these issues. That's going to sound elitist. Um, but there's a sense in you, which you are from the northeast, yeah, right? Aren't you? Yeah. Most no, 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 no. Most voters have lives to live yep. and limited yes. time. Yeah, and so neurologically, there's science that says our brains look for the simplest way to make decisions yep. because it saves time and energy. And it's part of why single issue is so appealing to so many people. As right. Well. Mm. Oh, simple calculus. I'm yep. done. I don't have to think this about this anymore. Yep. And, and that's rational when you've got to think about putting food on the table or you know my kid's sick. So. I totally get it, um, but there it's going to be tough to get people to think through these things in a deep way that would get evangelicals to move in a certain direction and say, so, come so to what, us. So what I would say is, um, so, so politics is herd mentality, mm. right? You don't need everybody to think this too deeply. You need leadership to think mm-hmm. this too deeply and mm. give everybody a sense of strategy and vision. Uh, for doing that. So I, I think it's doable whether or not we, we believe that is always the question, right? So we had an Evan McMullen mm-hmm. running in this and, and there's always a third party thing. Is that a wasted vote? Should I do that? Mm-hmm. Da, 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 da. So part of this is about walking by faith, mm-hmm. right? And uh, part of this is, is about not uh, slipping into supporting the Caesars, mm-hmm. you know, because they're the Caesars, because they have power, because they have money, so on and so forth. Yeah. And so part of this is about us putting faith into action. Uh, in these ways, here's the last thing I, I would maybe the last thing I would want to say, uh, switching gears for a moment uh, about this issue and sort of holes in the pro-life movement. Mm. Um, I don't want to trade on issues in a way that maybe gains me some inches on the pro-life movement, for mm-hmm, example, mm-hmm. on the pro-life side, but put at risk voting rights. Sure. Or, or a number of other significant, important um, yeah. sort of issues. Or civil rights. Or civil rights. Yeah. Um, and, and I think part of what is difficult about the pro-life movement, uh, insofar as it's shaped by a single, a single issue voting ethic, 
is it just doesn't want to countenance that complexity for many people who otherwise would be in the camp. Yeah. And, it, and it doesn't want to call on potential candidates to respond to that complexity mm-hmm. in ways that enlarge the camp. And I just think mm-hmm. that's a political miscalculus. Well, and going back to your the Bible verses you walked us through in the last episode, um, there's a great irony in the fact that the Imago Dei in Genesis 1 is our source both for being mm-hmm. pro-life That's right. and for being pro-civil rights mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and for being anti-injustice and anti-prejudice. That's right. And somehow we aren't able to collect, to put both commitments into the platform of a single party, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, 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 and sort of Trump is like the, he's like the kind of reductio ad absurdum of this, right? There was always some plausible deniability that Republicans like, you know, weren't necessarily terrible on civil rights before, but now it's like, that's all gone, <laughs> right? Like, And so th- you're, th- it's a very stark choice. Mm-hmm. Which side of the Imago Dei are you going to vote for? Mm-hmm. And that's a, it's a terrible position to be put in if you're a Christian, yeah. deciding how they're going to vote. Yeah. You can say, well, it's raw numbers on one side or the other. Yeah. That's, but... one, that's one way to look at it. Yeah. That's the way I tend to. That doesn't mean it's the only way. I mean, I, there, there's a sense in which... In this conversation, it's like I I have let pragmatics guide a lot of that, and it's like maybe instead of settling for what is, we should be aspirational to what should be. I think that's a good exhortation. What would it look like if just I'll name a grab bag of people, right? Like James Dobson and Al Mohler and Jerry Falwell Jr. I'm purposely naming different people from different quarters. <clears throat> If they all were united in saying, I, I, you know, I'm not telling you all to vote for Democrats. I am actually telling you to stay home or vote for a third party unless and until one party actually grapples with this. Well, I, I just wouldn't frame it in terms of unless until one party grapples with this. Or either. I, I, I think you put uh, those kinds of voices and many others mm-hmm. that are in, in even different sort of sub camps of the evangelical world. Um, and I think you articulate a platform. Yeah. Right, and I, and I think you offer this to evangelicals as let's stand on this platform and and call people to it. Yeah, um, who who are running for office, who are who are looking, and so you you're creating a third way. Then I don't care if they're Democrat or Republican yeah. or Independent yeah. or whatever. It's like okay, who will take up this mantle, right, in the political space and and represent these this constellation mm-hmm. of ideals and aspirations um, that people of faith as people of faith. Are, want to press toward, um, yeah. and so I, I just wouldn't hitch that hitch that train to the to the engine of one of those two parties. Yeah, yeah. and there's precedent here, at least not in our system, but I mean, if you think of Wilberforce in in Great Britain, I mean, he literally spent decades on one issue, and it was going nowhere. Yep, and then it went somewhere, and so so, so yeah. let let's actually end with that as our as a question, which is to say, if you were to build that bigger, better pro-abundant life movement, what would it call for and what would it consist of? I think my immediate gut reaction is actually it's in it's in civil society. It's it's working on the culture and people and, and doing the things that we've talked about here, both in churches and out, and um, creating a mindset change on how we care for... Um, orphans and widows and the marginalized uh and it starts there and there is i also often have a a temptation to say like leave the politics aside for now let let the the cultural change that we see in the christian church kind of grassroots its way up um yeah I, i would say i'm tempted to change i'm tempted to focus on the micro level of people kind of educating exhorting to think about these things whole of life instead of just one particular issue and then if the policy comes to us at some point i think that's great i do think there is sort of broad level um messaging that has to be a part of this there is uh civil society stuff that has to happen in this that will encourage uh if if i'm thinking in terms of policy i think in that platform uh, we are anti-roe we, we are calling for yep mm-hmm. uh the overturn of, of roe v wade so that that's a, a no-brainer uh, but if we're talking about a, a pro-life in a more expansive sense, um, I think you, I think policy should incentivize the behaviors you wish to see, mm-hmm. right? So if we wish to see 
uh, families formed and healthy, then I think you want to incentivize uh, marriage. I yeah. think you want to incentivize mm-hmm. having children. You use the tax system to do that. You expand the earned income tax credit mm-hmm. in a number of vehicles that are already sort of on the books that, that help do that. Uh, I think you have to look at maternity leave laws and, and, oh, yeah. and compensation and things for the, mm-hmm. of that sort. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so I think a lot of the policy apparatus is in place. It's a matter of expanding and targeting to the outcomes that you want. We haven't had that debate since TANF, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and I think we, we've had some uh, lackluster efforts at, say, uh, family formation initiatives and marriage mm-hmm. creation and so on. Um, and that's hard work, but I don't think we should give up on that. I yeah. think there are a number of yeah. things we should add to the table there, fatherhood initiatives and so on. Adoption also strikes me adoption. as something. Adoption, yeah. So I've, I've a co- I'll, I'll start broad and I'll kind of get more specific. I would say you've um, one premise I have. Think I want to go back to what you said about Endgame, the beating. Mm. So ending Roe, returning the decision back to states and the federal government, um, and then presumably either at the federal or the state level making abortion illegal, mm. right? Like that's kind of the, those would be the sort of policy steps that you would that you would take in terms of sort of outright um, bans. And I think so. Suppose you just did that. What you then have left is kind of a resistance movement of people who still demand this practice mm-hmm. and who do it in the black sure. market. And sure. so your next part of the end game is reducing that to zero That's right. by some combination of pressure, incentive, and conscience, yeah. right? And so that's the problem that need. And and you don't. But to your point, you don't need to wait till Rose overturned to start solving that problem right now. Mm-hmm. Of like kind of the what you the demand side mm-hmm. of, um, of of abortions. And I think the tone matters because the tone has to be redemptive and has to invite people. And if you've had one before. It doesn't matter. Let's talk about what you're going to do now. Mm-hmm. If you're thinking about having one, um, let's talk. Let's acknowledge the very real challenges you're facing and think mm-hmm. about what that means. Yeah. Um, I think somehow that tone has to shift. That's going to be really, really hard. But that, that's one thing the movement has to say is I'm not going to dehumanize anybody. I'm not going to pretend this is just an open and shut issue. Yeah. Um, then I think, just going back to the specifics of what you all are saying around incentives, I have a I have a joke I tell myself sometimes, which is, you know, if you wanted to bring abortions near to zero tomorrow, it would be very easy. Just offer everybody a fully refundable $15,000 per year tax credit for every child they have in their household. Yeah. Right? Like, you did that, it would go to almost zero tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and why don't we do that? Why wouldn't we do that? Right? Like, and further... Um, subsidize abortion I'm sorry no, subsidize adoption yep. 100% yeah. adoption is free to anyone who meets there's already a lot of hoops you got to jump through to actually do it yeah. so let's make it cost you zero dollars every time you want to do it and oh by the way let's give that $15,000 subsidy to the mother to the birth mother in the first year mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so in order that they'd say not only will there be someone who wants to, you know, kind of raise your child, but you'll also get a subsidy for having, you know, brought that child into the world, Mm -hmm. right? And you do that, you won't get entirely to zero, but you'll get, you'll come a lot closer if we were willing to spend that kind of money. Oh, and by the way, we don't have, we have, we are teetering on the edge of a population decline problem anyway, Mm -hmm. so. Well, and we spend way more than that on prison beds. Yeah. Right, and so it's not like the money's not in the system. It's it's about sort of the priorities in yeah. terms of how we're allocating it. And it would transform family life. Amen. You think about that. Like every parent knows that they are able to raise their child mm-hmm. um, all the way to the age of majority. Mm-hmm. Right, like in order to, uh, I mean, it would it would it would transform what parents are able to do. You add that to paid parental leave, any number mm-hmm. of things like that. So there are things we could do if we were willing to, as you say, spend the resources. And by the way, we won't be spending as many on those prison beds a generation from now if we do this right. Mm-hmm. So I think I would I, I would love to see somebody propose an agenda that is equal to the task of getting to zero. Because yeah. if you, we will be, we will be, if, as long as we're a 50-50 country on this, we will never get to zero. That's it right. will be impossible. Yeah. That's right. so. I think you, you're getting to a great point, which is we've, we've become a little myopic in terms of, you know, we've got to overturn Roe v. Wade and, and that's that's it right and so mm. if we're not there is a lot of create creative solutions that you just named that i certainly have never thought of before and would support in a heartbeat um i think christians would say we are willing to pay for this and mm-hmm. and rightfully so and so i think there is an exhortation here for the movement to be a little more creative and that could be really helpful 
Well, guys, I just have one other question for you all because this is episode 10. It's the end of our first season, uh, so to speak, for what it's worth. If there's anyone still listening out there. Um, and, uh, yeah, just any reflections you guys have on how it's been kind of walking through and doing and doing this work together? Well, brother, this was, this was um, your, your idea, and, um, and I'm grateful for your leadership and, and, and creativity in it. I hope it's helpful to folks. I've had fun. Uh, I'm 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 learning uh, in this process, and um, you know, so thank you for thank you for that, and uh, I hope others are, are learning, benefiting as well, um, and we hope to get get better. We hope to keep plugging and uh, keep thinking through issues, um, and bringing the Bible to bear on these things that we care about. Mm-hmm. I think I would say what I really hope people see demonstrated here is the the conversation. Um, yeah. I think. I certainly have said something. I'm sure that I was like, "Oh, I wish I didn't say it that way," or I was that was a dumb thing to say. But but that's not the principle. Getting everything right, and policy or anything else, is not what I'm trying to. Or I don't think what we're trying to demonstrate here. We're trying to demonstrate that Christians have different consciences and how we talk to one another about these issues. And and we're not all going to land in the same place. But let's have the conversation in love. And without the temperature rising to such a degree that people are getting angry. And yeah. so that's what I hope people take from this is I'm relatively conservative. Uh, Nick is relatively progressive. T is all over the map. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. true. It's so true. <laughs> I, I think, but what you see is three guys who are doing their best to, to discuss these issues well and love one another well. And I think that's, that's what I'd like to see people take away from this is we are, we are not much, but that's what we're trying to do. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, brothers. I really appreciate the opportunity to do this um, with you. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking a little bit about kind of hopefully the value of just walking through each issue at a slightly slower pace than we're used to um, out, you know, out, there in the, out there in the wider world. And I pray that that would be a, a benefit to us and to whoever, whoever is still listening. Uh, so, Pastor, you want to go ahead and close us in prayer? I'd be glad to. Father, we do thank you for the gift of conversation and the gift of friendship. And we do thank you, Lord, that um, the way you design friendship, there ought to be some iron sharpening, uh, Lord, so that our faces might shine, so that we might be chiseled into the likeness of Christ. Uh, we pray, O oh Lord, that you use this little podcast offering to encourage somebody, uh, to help somebody. Uh, we, we pray, O oh Lord, that you would awaken your church and stir her, Lord, with greater zeal uh, to bear more faithful witness Uh, to be a more faithful presence uh, on all these issues that affect the lives of our neighbors and affect our lives as well. Lord, we pray that your church would uh, not merely be involved in politics as a matter of self-interest, but also of neighbor love uh, and glorifying your name. Give us grace to do so, and we'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.